Welcome to A Word About Wealth, a podcast where we tackle the often complicated topics of money and wealth. My name is Van, and normally my co-host Kevin would join us, but at the time of recording, he's actually still having a great time in Vegas. For those that are new, what we do here on this podcast is take a common sense approach to understand topics surrounding money. We'll do our best to build a solid foundation, define complicated terms, and provide examples to make it easy to understand. Our ultimate goal here is to provide key ideas and best practices in order to help you build your wealth. Specifically, in this episode, we will be continuing part two in our topic of 401k. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, I would really recommend you listen to that first before you proceed. Again, as always, it is important to note here that we are not financial advisors, nor do we pretend to be. What we share in this podcast should really be taken as general education and financial entertainment and really shouldn't be misconstrued as financial guidance. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So Van, we've set the table, I think, pretty well here about what a 401k is and how it works and defining that. Let's jump into the meat of how this is, is going to work. So my first question for you is, we clearly have said a 401k is, is associated with a company, you make money, it's pre-tax, um, so it's it comes off of your, your taxable income and all that. So is it literally I just put it in there and then... I make money at the end of it. I'm a millionaire. How does this work? Is it, is it risk, just risk free or do any actually do something once I, you know, they make the contribution? I mean, it's, it's definitely not risk free because it's really the four, your 401k is subjected to the volatility of the, the market. Right? Okay. So that, there's really, um, there's, so there's no such thing as a risk free in 401k yeah. world. But I would say um, the only thing that's risk free is probably the match. I mean, that's yeah. free money, right? That you, you're going to get. But again, it's usually a 401k is set up so that you just have to specify how much you want to put towards it uh, per paycheck or per year. And yeah. usually it's like either a percentage of your of your paycheck or it's a, a certain amount of your paycheck that yeah. you want to put in. Um, and I would say that each company itself, is um, they would partner up with a certain brokerage like Fidelity or Vanguard oh, okay. or Charles Swap or whatever. Mm-hmm. And pretty much you know that brokerage will set this up for you and they'll yeah. give you like a website link and you uh-huh. have to create a login and you know it will just take it from there. Got it. So... Uh, will the company manage that money for me, or do I need to do that myself? Ultimately, you have to do it yourself. Oh. I mean, by default, I mean <laughs> I could tell you what my company does. They just throw it in what they call a target fund, um, which okay. is basically um, an autopilot fund if uh-huh. you do nothing. So that's you know that's one way that you can do it. But yeah. other other than that, um, I mean, yeah, they, it's, it's still up to, to you to something. figure out. Yeah, because yeah, I know for ours is once you. The company will do the the taking out of your paycheck for you, but I know it just goes into some. It doesn't even go into fun. It just sits there, mm-hmm. not making interest. I know that we've had some of my coworkers who thought, oh, this whole time they were, you know, they they said, oh, I, I contribute to it, but then they actually don't. Yeah. It doesn't buy any. You it's actually have to buy bank, it. It's basically yeah. a bank account that, that makes form. no interest, yeah. oh, right? Like you actually have to go. And then allocate that money. Correct. Is that how it goes? Okay. Yeah, because I mean, I have to say it is kind of complicated because the yeah. first time when I when I got uh, when I got my first job out of college, I yeah. was thinking, 
Oh, 401k? Yeah. And all this stuff. That's and right. I, I always thought that the company would do it for right. me, but you're right. It's just, it either sits in a, you know, kind of like just stagnant there. Yeah. Or you have to, you know, or it, put it in a fund that's autopilot or it may be a fund that you may not even want to put in. Yeah. Right. So again, is you know, the beauty of a 401k is that it's, it's up to you to figure it out. But also the bad part is you have to figure it exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. I, I know some people like me, I'm, I'm not the, you know, I'm not the most risk, um, what is that called? Risk, uh, you're risky not, guy. You're not a daredevil. Yeah, I'm not a daredevil. Like I'm a little concerned about when, you know, buying individual stocks and stuff like that. Is it, is this kind of the same thing or is that something I just have to bite the bullet and then go in and just, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. You gotta buy what you gotta buy, but you can be conservative or like, is you kind of have to, it's, it's, it's pretty daunting for some people. Right. I mean, I would say most 401ks would never let you buy an individual stock. At least oh, I've, I've okay. never seen one because you can't just sink all your money into Apple. I would actually say that my wife's company actually lets them buy their own company stock. Okay. And even in my, sense. some of my previous companies, I, yeah, I've seen that, but you can't just buy a willing. Oh, stock. Like, okay. I want to buy Facebook. If, I mean, <laughs> unless you work at Facebook. Yeah. Right? Gotcha. <laughs> but well, that's, that's but, good. But usually they, they do that so that you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Okay. Right. Well, let's go down that path then a little sure. bit. Uh, so at this point we have established, you know, money goes into some fun. What are some some uh, some things that we can think about in terms of the types of funds that we can buy into, or what can we even buy? You sure. talked about non. You talked about target funds. Mm-hmm. You also said you can't buy individual stocks. Well, then what what other elements should we be thinking about here? Well, let's, let's step into Van's four hundred one k. Yes, here. wow. <laughs> please do. Please share with us. I, I would say most of the four hundred one k's that I've seen, there are really three basic types of funds that you that you can invest in actually okay. in some cases there's four but i mean i would say th- these three are pretty common uh the first type like i mentioned earlier are target funds and uh, these are basically just funds that you uh, don't really have to put any thought into you just kind of, it's really autopilot super easy and is also super well diversified um so a target fund is something like let's say you are 21 right now mm-hmm. and you want to retire by the time you're 60 then okay. in, that, in that case you, you could put a, a target fund of a four-year target fund that will basically be super aggressive um, up front. And then as you get older, it will automatically make it more conservative. So by the time you retire, oh. it will be, you know, not, it'll be, you know, you have that money for you right there. And, you know, you don't have to really look at it or touch it at all. Got it. Other than, you know, the only thing you have to do here is just continually put money into it. Got and it. Uh, everything would, everybody, the company will invest it for you effectively. Okay. Yeah. So. Does every company, do you think, has a target fund option? I think so, because it's the easiest way for anybody who's, um, uh, you know, who's a novice to, um, to it. do it. So is that seriously, I don't have to do anything? Like, I literally just say, check the mark, like, I want to contribute to 401k and the company will do it? Or do I still need to go onto that website maybe the first time and say, well, I want to do whatever, autopilot, anything I put in there needs to go to autopilot. It sounds like it's, uh, it could be both, right? I mean, yeah. in my company, it just automatically puts uh, puts the investor in the target fund based on oh, their age. Oh, got it. And then for you, it sounds yeah. like you have to actually do the extra stuff. Got to do it, that. Yeah. got it. Okay. What other funds are there? Uh, I would say there are also um, stock funds. Um, actually, before I go to stock funds, okay. um, I would say, that, so the, the pro for a target fund is that it's super easy, mm-hmm. right? But the con is that, I would say that uh, typically the fees are higher for the for the target funds, and, histori- doing, yeah. and his- historically, um, they don't actually perform as high um, as well as the market as either. Mm-hmm. I, I actually used to uh, exclusively do target funds, and when I look at the target fund versus the benchmark S and P five hundred, it was always lower, and I always got oh. really upset about that. So I, you know, even though it's easy, I mean, there are there is a caveat to it being mm-hmm. easy, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, is it 
would you say it's less risky? I wouldn't say it's less risky. It's just, less it's risky, just, huh? it's, no, it's not less risky at all. I would say it's just less, uh, it doesn't less work. Involve, yeah, less work on your no, part. Yeah. I got you. And that's I mean, why the fees, in some ways, they have to, you have to pay for that work. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it's, okay. it's something that if you have, if you have no ex- absolute desire to, um, to learn about, you know, investing and all that, then yeah. I, I wouldn't say this is a bad way to do it, but yeah. it's just there are more uh, efficient ways, I would yeah. say, in my opinion. You would say, like, if you, can do a 401k it's better to do a 401k with a target fund than not to do it at all exactly right yeah. okay cool all right all right so uh, the, uh, i mentioned that the second type of funds are uh, what they call stock funds mm-hmm. and these are basically uh, funds um, mutual funds that that are kind of a bundles of stocks right and uh, you okay. may hear terms like high ca- um, like large cap mid cap and small cap and really that just means that you know are we are investing in primarily large companies or middle-sized company or small mm-hmm. companies right and also, um, a lot of times they also throw in international companies in there as well. Wow. So, for instance, uh, you know, in your large cap stock fund, you're going to have uh, primarily all the big companies like uh, Apple. Um, let's see, I guess IBM would be in there. Microsoft. Microsoft. Yeah, all, like all those companies yeah. will be in there. And the thing is, that, you know, I mentioned earlier that you can't you can't invest in one individual company yeah. typically, but in this case, you're you're basically take, dipping your toe in every, you know, all those big companies. Mm, yeah. So you're diversifying that risk in some ways. Exactly. Okay. So you're you know you're not again you're not you're you're, you're spreading your eggs across all of these companies. And industries are all over. Correct. Could be from like manufacturing to retail and all that type. Correct. Of stuff. Okay. So, I mean, I've seen four hundred one case where it says that okay, this is more technology related. Oh, support, I see. But okay. So in, there in, are. In general, I, I I don't recommend that. But I would okay. just because um, I mean, what if technology tanks like yeah, it did in two thousand one? Right. Okay. <laughs> and, or, you know, things like so it's, it's still good. I mean, I would say most companies don't have that, but I have seen companies that had those type of funds where it's like sector based. But in general. These type of funds are very diversified, and you know, even if one company tanks, then you're you're fine. Yeah. Most what about a small cap? Is that does that mean that that company is like a risky company, like something that's just a startup, or how does or is it just that they're less valuable? I guess um, I from a sales perspective, actually, money profit. Small caps. I mean, there's just uh, it just depends on how much money they generate, right? I mean, right. I don't know the top of my head uh, what uh, what to consider a small cap, but in general, um, small caps are more risky but the thing is um, they also have the higher um, they have a uh, higher chance of getting you more returns actually okay so higher yield on that yeah i mean mean, that's kind of why i mean because with higher risk higher higher risk higher risk right whereas with the large cap uh, i mean these other companies are so well established that their profit margins um, or their profits may not be as high God. But the thing is, they've been around for so long that they're not. They're usually, they're not going to go belly up. Like, you know? Much stable. Yeah. Much more stable. Okay. I mean, they're not as stable as uh, the government. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But uh, they're much more. They're usually much more stable than the small cap. Would you say the risk level? Um, if you were, to, you you kind of mentioned us four key ones, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, large cap, mid cap, small cap, and the international. Correct. Is it that the risk level goes from? lowest to highest in that way or do you feel like in general it kind of yeah. jumps around like international i would assume is is the riskiest or yeah. depends on the where it, the international it depends too, on international okay. right because you have like companies like toyota and things like yeah. that, that are well established but i mean there are um there are certain ones that are you know so even with international there are certain there's different categories oh uh, okay so right? that gets so, real complex then. yeah because there's like uh you know large international there's also something called uh, emerging markets so you know basically those are Usually in countries like India or China or uh, like Russia that okay. or that are basically they're they're on their way to get up. Got it. Got they it. have a lot of growth potential. Got it. So 
So in some ways, it can get very complex with even when then just the stock funds. I mean, this is why the whole stock market is built around, you know. Exactly. Right? And okay. I would even say that's pro- that's the main con of using stock funds is because it is complicated. Yeah. Because you have to kind of go through and figure out, okay, this, you know, which, yeah. which ones do I want to invest yeah. in? Okay. What are, uh, you said, what are some pros? That's one of the cons. What yeah. are some of the pros, um, I guess? Pros is, is basically with the stock funds, you have the highest gain for, um, highest potential for gains. Okay. Really. And then again, it's very diversified. So you, you, Got you it. are, um, unless the whole market tanks, then you're usually not going to lose money if one company tanks. Got it. What if we were to relate stock funds and target funds uh, that we just talked about with regards to the fees? Um, mm-hmm. One of the cons of the target was the fees. Is Correct. that the same in... So in stocks or so how stock, does that work? Stock funds, I mean, it, it, it really varies because some okay. of them do have high fees, like, you know, like the target funds or maybe some of them even higher fees than that. But some of them um, are really low. Like, for instance, you know, uh, index funds are a type of stock funds. And I typically and those fees are usually really, really low. What's an index fund? So an index fund is oh, let's see how or just layman terms, I guess. Sure. You could say. So I mentioned S&P 500, right? Mm-hmm. That's an index. So it's oh, okay. basically like something that uh, it's like a, a fund that tracks a specific market. So you can, you can have an index that can track, you know, these, um, the U.S. Uh, stocks, or you can have a fund that tracks international stocks and things like that. So Got it. Yeah. Okay. So I can invest in an index fund as opposed to just a high, large, is it just another type? Or it's something? just another type because um, typically index funds are not managed by um, a brokerage company. So basically, oh, because there's not a lot of work to do when you yeah. um, to, when you do index fund because it just tracks whatever um, standard there is out there. Got Whereas it. if you were to have a managed, what do you call a managed uh, stock fund, then you are really you're technically hiring a group of um, a team to really you know, pick the stocks for you and all. Got that. it. Okay, yeah. so that's almost like a pre-selected in no, in other words, index, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Actually, that's that's not a bad way to say it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> And then you said there was one other type yes. of fund. So the last one is um, is called a bond fund. And again, these are mutual funds that focus on bonds. Um, bonds are basically um, it's like you're giving a loan to somebody, right? Yeah. And you can give uh, you can have bonds um, or you can have bonds for government. You have corporate bonds. You can have international bonds. Okay. You're bas- you yourself are basically loaning these people money, and they pay you interest. So it's just uh, is the way they invest for these is similarly similar to stocks and Target. Or is this like a wholly different thing? So it's actually kind of like, um, you know, in if you think of um, yin and yang, and you know, it's kind of like uh, the bonds is kind of like the yin, the stock is like the yang, right? It's kind of, they're kind of almost polar opposites. Okay. Whereas, you know, because in the stock fund, you're basically buying ownership in these companies, whereas in a bond fund, uh, you are giving out loans to these companies. Got it. Okay. So um, I would say the, the, the main pro is that the, you know, it's actually, um, it's the least volatile over mm-hmm. them because usually with bonds, they have a like a fixed interest rate for every one bond, but actually, it's a little bit more complicated than sure, bond no, bonds. But because, that makes sense because you're not doing just one bond, right? You're not giving one percent loan. You're giving like a whole collection of people yeah. loans. So it kind of gets all aggregated together yeah. to figure out what is actually your earning potential for those uh, yeah. bonds. But I would say that, so. The pros is that it's least volatile, so it most more than likely it's not going to dip as much as a stock fund. But the cons is that um, it definitely has the least return potential, right? And it's still not risk free because. Let's say your interest rate, uh, the, the if the Fed increases the interest rate, then your your the, all the bonds that you hold today are going to devalue. God. Yeah, so there is still, I mean, people think it's risk free, but it's there's really no no such thing as risk free within any of these. Because categories. those things are tied together in some ways, the bond market and interest rates. Exactly. That's it's, why we always it's hear directly about this it's directly tied together. Actually. Got it. <laughs> so when we hear talk, people talk about buying like U.S. Treasury bonds, mm-hmm. it's kind of like in this realm. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, more than likely, um, more than likely, the your four hundred one k may not even get, let you do that because, again, you know, if you that's outside. Yes. Yeah, well, it's not out, It's not only outside, but it's it's still like you know you're you're putting all your eggs in one basket. And oh, usually, I see. And usually, when employers go out, they don't they, they want to try to make sure you are um, you know diversifying in one way or another, right? So, Got it. Um, it. Because you know some bond funds include like some corporate, some government, some and, and it's mm-hmm. like a portion of each, right? Got it. Got it. And in some ways, especially with government, would you say the government is the biggest? place that is actually giving out these bonds i wouldn't say so i would say oh, really? oh. i mean i'm not i don't know about biggest but i would say uh, there's a ton of companies that, give you, that do bonds as well got it yeah okay very cool yeah but i would say government is probably the safest though got um, it. out of all of them because it's less likely to defunct yeah well if, let's say the government does defunct then we have bigger problems yeah than the okay. <laughs> that's true okay cool anything else on the types of fund van before we move on to the next Part of it. I mean, these are I would say the three main ones. I mean, okay. I would say in in my four hundred one k, there's a special fourth one which, which regard uh, which relates to real estate actually. Oh, and that okay. one's actually interesting because you, you um it's basically what I call a REIT fund. Uh, REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. Mm-hmm. And what a REIT fund is is it's just like a collection of uh, real estate and yeah. that you know that fund owns and um, it gets. You get your earnings by you know either rental or when they sell it or things like that, right? So, so do I actually own part of that property? Technically, yeah, a little oh, bit. Wow, yeah, wow. Based on that, yeah. Hmm. Do, do you do that yourself? I don't. For do, your I don't do retirement. That. I don't do that myself because typically REIT funds do have a high fee uh, compared to other funds. Oh, uh, okay. Because there is a lot of, of management that goes behind the scenes, and it is a lot of work to get those funds up and running. But then, let's say you were to get like a McDonald's on that, mm-hmm. and that could be like a good thing or something potentially but usually these REIT funds they have hundreds you know, oh, not thousands okay. of properties so got even it, if you have it. McDonald's it's just like a spec spec yeah where does that risk lie in all uh, compared to the rest of these I would say it's probably as risky as a, maybe a, a, a stock fund I mean okay. it really depends on it really depends on the type of REIT it is because okay. if it's Agreed. if it's all like uh, if the REIT is based on like large companies that mm-hmm. you know, let's say like you know a bunch of WalMarts a bunch of yeah. Targets I mean those I would say are you know, pretty safe but if it's you know if it's something where it's um, if it's like hosting like a bunch of small companies then again it's, it. it really depends on really the depends. type of REIT okay well so it, I guess that's the caveat that we want to leave everybody with is is that you really need to dive more if you if you plan on right. being serious when doing this yourself exactly I guess. okay. Uh, well, what are some of the best practices we can think about? You know, we we kind of have laid now the the process out. What are some best practices that we can leave the listeners with with regards to a four hundred one k? This is, of course, assuming that they have that available. Yep. So I would say that the number one thing is contribute as much as you can. Okay. Because I've never really seen anybody who's uh, well off. I've never ever heard them complain about oh. Man, I wish I didn't put that much money into my yeah. 401k. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's something that is just as, you know, if you can max it out, I would say just max it out because it really does bring down, um, not only your tax bill at the end of the year, but you know, it's just, it just gives you more opportunity to grow that money. That's actually a good question. Uh, I, that's one thing I forgot to ask earlier that when I was unwrapping, un- unwrapping your answer, you mentioned, so there is a cap in general. Yes. So like you mentioned something about 18,000, right? So is that, you're saying the cap with regards to your with your employer. What's the difference between that cap versus your your matching cap? Like your company saying I only have five percent. Sure. Are you saying that's eighteen thousand, or how does these two different things? So those those are actually two different things. Okay. So the max is actually so 
Um, every year, the um, IRS determines how much you can uh, uh, put in into your 401k as a max, right? Uh, currently, in 2017, the max is at 18000 okay. So, you technically, I mean, you can put more than 18000 but there's really no tax benefit for you to put more than $18,000 in there. So, that is the max. So, and But the thing is, anything that the company matches doesn't really fall under the $18,000 limit. So, uh, okay. so that $18,000 is really your contribution limit. However, I would say... There's actually another limit that's, um, that they don't really uh, advertise, which is like around 50 something. I think mm-hmm. it's like 55, 57,000 or something like that. That is really your real limit. And that, you know, so if you, add, you know, so that includes all of your matching and things like that that your company provides. Oh, okay. So let, let me, let me give some examples then. Mm-hmm. So you're saying if I wanted to put in, let's say 25,000 mm-hmm. out of, out of pocket contributions, mm-hmm. you're saying that that's not possible? I mean, it's possible, but okay. it's just, it, there's no tax benefit because you're not, um, anything above 18,000, you're not going to get any pre-tax deductions. Got that it. Money, right? So that means if I were to do 25 minus 18, that's 7,000. Correct. So the first 18,000 of my 25,000 mm-hmm. would be able to get the tax benefits, Correct. meaning it would be deducted from my taxable income. Exactly. But anything above that is just, I mean, I don't lose that money though. That money is right. just still going to, the retirement. If there's just no point to it, right? It's actually I wouldn't recommend doing more than eighteen thousand oh, because because okay. uh, here here's the deal, right? It actually makes your accounting a lot more um, mm-hmm. difficult in the future. So because if you if you can just uh, if you do more than eighteen thousand, that means that um, anything above that um, is uh, technically not tax uh, tax well. It's contributed post tax dollars or after tax dollars. Oh, so let's I see. say let's say you I retire see. like thirty years from now. Yeah, you're gonna have to somehow prove to the IRS that hey, I put in more money that with my after tax dollars yeah. in my four hundred one k. And you can you imagine having oh, to prove man. all that? I don't want to you know? do that. Yeah, okay, so I would say just don't so, put more than your max. So more or less for our listener, eighteen thousand is that max right. for for this year. For for this year, yeah. Yes. But, so every year, check it out. But I did mention earlier that you know anything that you're even if you're. Let's say your company does match, right? I mean, that, that doesn't have anything to do with your 18000 that, okay. that has to do with anything above your $50,000 limit. That okay. Yeah. So in that same scenario, I, let's say I decided I made the adjustment to 18000 yeah. but my company matched 5%, which sure. ended up being 5000 let's okay. say. Sure. So you're saying that 5000 doesn't count against my eighteen? No. Okay, cool. Not at all. But let's say that you're, you're, you work for a baller company, right? Yeah. Let's say the... I mean, I, I know there is a, uh, a max limit of uh, fifty something thousand. Mm-hmm. I don't know which exact number, but let's say let's say it's fifty thousand yeah. right, per year for uh, for your four hundred one k. Let's say your company gives you let's let's see thirty two thousand dollars in matching, okay. right? So actually, let's say uh, so basically actually thirty three thousand, right? So yeah. you, you you make like you have forty fifty one thousand in your four hundred one k that year. So that one thousand dollars that you you, know, you went over um, actually will be taxable. Oh, so yeah. in some ways it just becomes, oh. Yeah, but I'm just saying that's a very unlikely scenario. Yeah, but that's like, a lot to be putting yeah. in. Right? Oh, <laughs> but I'm just saying that... The, um, You're trying to tell us something here? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But, this? but I'm just saying that it's, it's just one of those things where you got to kind of watch out for okay. as well, right? But cool. I mean, and for, for normal folk like you and I, like yeah. I don't think that's ever going to be an issue. Yeah. Got it. So let's just look at that, Max. Right. Okay. So that, sorry. So tangent on that, let's get back <laughs> to the best part. You said sure. first one, contribute as much as you can, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What else? Okay, so another one is um, actually uh, basically select. I, I would recommend that you select funds with low fees. So um, right, makes and sense. You never when you look into like your 
you know, in any documentation for your, um, what they call prospectus for your 401k and so forth, you're never really going to see a word called fee because fee is, you know, any, any commoner would know what a fee is, but yeah. so they usually use like really fancy language, like gross expense ratio yeah. or, or something like that. And a gross expense ratio is basically all the fees that are involved for, uh, for that particular fund. So, um, basically I would find ones that have low fees and just focus on that. So when you talk about fees, I just I know we're going to talk whole thing whole thing about yeah, yeah, fees because yeah. I know this is one that grinds your gears. It that's does. for sure. <laughs> um, just just so that for the context of this podcast, this episode, do these are these fees that I have to pay out of pocket or how does like where do they get the fees from? Like is oh. it that I move the money? Oh man, I oh, can Kevin. see Vans. Oh Kevin, yeah, in my opinion, is you shouldn't be so happy about talking about fees, man. <laughs> oh not, my goodness, I'm not happy, but I'm just oh, saying, crazy, I'm just, my blood boils every yeah. time I hear this. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, do I need to like write a check physically to like some random guy to manage this? Where do the fees come from? Actually, I, I wish we did that because that okay. way, that way, when you actually pay fees, you know, you actually feel the sting of it. Yeah. But in this case, you know, the fees are actually taken out of your 401k balance um, automatically. Oh, and you're never, I mean, right it's there. really, it's kind of shady because ah, you never shady, send shady. any kind of a statement. You never send uh-huh. anything that tells you, hey, I they deducted this amount out of your um, 401k. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's been so kind of hush hush and kind of like, you know, uh, brushed underneath the um, the doormat that, mm-hmm. um, I mean, unless you were actually tracking your balance every single day and, all, and so forth, yeah. you're not going to notice it. Is it only fees? Oh, I shouldn't go down this rabbit hole with you, <laughs> but just... Is, is it the profit that they make that they take the fees from or is it just doesn't matter? Let's say I'm lose, they've lost me 5%. I still have to pay them. You have to pay it regardless. Wow. That but sucks. Then again, you have to think about it this way, right? I mean, somebody has to get paid somehow and you can always control. Actually, how do you say? So uh, I was mentioning that somebody could just, you have, they always have to get paid somehow, right? Yeah. I mean, they also have to make a living and so mm-hmm. forth, which is fine. But um, you also have to realize that there are some funds that have, uh, high fees and there's some funds that have low fees and their performance are either the same or, you know, they, uh, oh, in some yeah. cases the low right. fees are, they perform even better, right? But yeah, again, we, I'm going to dedicate an entire episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too, I got to keep you in your cage on oh, this man. fee situation. Oh, <laughs> but I would say that, um, you know, you, some people have asked me, so what is considered something as like a, with a high fee? Yeah. So I would say that, um, anything that has a gross expense ratio of over, um, half a percent or 0.50 percent, it, it, in my opinion, it's considered high. Oh, man. So I would stick with Confused. everything that's below that. Yeah. What is a gross expense <laughs> ratio? <laughs> Weren't you just listening to oh, me? Oh, <laughs> man. I did not know what that meant. Actually, uh, um, again, gross expense ratio is basically the fees that are involved. It's just another oh, fancy I, term I for see. Fee, right? I got you. Oh, my bad. Yeah, no, no my worries. My bad, man. Yeah. Oh, I know you. And you kind of calm down here, okay? I know, I know the fees get you. Everybody tune in for that one. That's yeah. going to be, oh man, a stern talking to. Right. All right, cool. Again, um, but yeah, I would say, I would just, yeah, because when you filter out, um, you know, anything less than half a percent, then basically like a lot of times um, it actually filters out quite a bit of the funds and it makes your decision making process okay. a lot easier. Actually. So you can, you can actually look for these. Oh yeah. Actually. Okay. Very yeah. Cool. Because if you have a good brokerage, I mean, there are some that does it better than others. Uh, um, me pers- my employer uses Fidelity Yeah. and it's really easy to see all the, um, the fees and all that for, um, for all the funds. But uh, my dad actually, they use another company. I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to give him a bad yeah, yeah, name, yeah. but See, I have basically had to open up every single fund and Ugh. look at the fee, and I'm just, I have to put in Excel and all that. And it's, it's that's hard. so shady. It's called not called a fee. Yeah, it is. It's called gross expense it, ratio. It is. It's gross, is what I say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say personally, I like to select funds that has fees of less than point uh, zero point one percent and lower. 
0.1%. Yeah, like lower. a tenth of a percent. Oh, oh tenth of a percent. Yeah, oh, wow. lower. So that's 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 what I usually filter. Are there zero ones? There are no zero ones. There are no but zero. There ones. are ones that are very close to zero. Okay. That way. Cool. So what other what other best practices? Let's keep going um, on the list. So another one would be uh, something called asset allocation, and that's that's just another fancy word, uh, word to say, um, you know how you know which funds am I going to invest in, and how am I going to split all my funds up, right? Because you know I mentioned how all, uh, mentioned all the funds before, but you know do I do fifty percent large cap? Do I do tw- you know God. do I do ten percent stock, ten um, percent bonds, or whatever, right? So um, so any point, ideas on how like someone who's brand new kind of go into that is there a rule of thumb there or is it or is do you really kind of would you recommend writing that that um the autopilot fund uh this is it's actually very um complicated subjective yeah well <laughs> what are your what are your thoughts on this like let's say when you first started i would say that if let's say if you you don't want to do anything with this i would just put 100 percent of your um contributions towards those target funds okay. because the target fund will automatically uh, divide all this up for you so you don't have to do anything you Got just it. gotta put it you know just put your money in there and that's it but if you want to go a little bit more fancy and put it some some in stock funds, some in bonds, and so forth, um, I would say in general there are uh, two two ways to think about this, right? So when you're working and you're young, um, you have to do you're basically what they call the uh, wealth accumulation phase. Yeah. Actually, I'm actually taking this out of the uh, my hero Jim Collins. Uh, oh, your hero! <laughs> yeah, I thought he, I was your hero. Uh, you oh, I guess so. I have more than one. I hero. guess I. Oh, all right, all right. You <laughs> saved yourself there. Yeah. So he he actually said that there's uh, two types of phases. So there's a wealth accumulation phase while you're working and building wealth, and then there's also the wealth preservation phase, okay. where basically the wealth preservation when you protect your assets, right? Okay. And uh, you know we mentioned that you know, with stocks, um, you have your greatest earning potential, but it's more volatile, so you can lose. You potentially you know gain a lot of money, but also lose money yeah. in stocks. Um, so in order to balance that out, you should add some bonds to your mix, right? So okay, that so makes sense. When you're young, I would say put in as much as you want in stocks based on your risk profile, right? Yeah. I mean, me personally, I like um, doing ninety percent stocks and ten percent bonds. I mean, that's kind of where I'm comfortable okay. with. But if you're less risk averse, you can do you know eighty percent stock, twenty percent. So I mean, it really depends on how risk averse you are in that Got case. It. Um, now <clears throat> that's in the wealth accumulation phase. Now on the wealth preservation phase. Um, when you want to protect your assets, you want to definitely put more bonds into your um, into your investment. So that way, you know, whenever the market dips, it's not going to dip too much. <laughs> right? Got it. So you can do something like, you know, if you want to be you know aggressive, you can do like 75 percent stock, 25 percent bonds. Or if you want to be conservative, you can do 50 50. So, again, it's very subjective. And there are a ton of studies out there that's, you know, that um, says, you know, a lot of things. But in my opinion, at the end of the day, there's really no one right answer. Sure. It's, it's really what, what you're comfortable with. Exactly. Somewhere. But when you say, I'm, I'm interested in this, wealth accumulation, is that is there a certain age range? You said it's younger, I was, typically? Or, I was no? while you're still working. I while you're still working. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. when you have a steady income, more or less, right. you should kind of continue right. in and, this? Okay. In your preservation phase, I would say that's when you... Maybe like five years away from retirement or okay. during retirement. I mean, again, it's it's up to you to determine when you want to start preserving that money. Got it. Okay, cool. Now, I know personally, of course, that I know that you know quite a bit about finances and you've actually looked a lot into this. Mm-hmm. If you were like, when do, is there a rule of thumb where you say, okay, let's say I'm, I'm brand new into this whole business. My company offers 401k. I've now done it. I just do purely target funds, right? Okay. But I, I'm, I, you know, I, I see how it does and I, I track it and all that. But let's say, you know, w- what is it between a target fund before you feel like, okay, you know, I know enough for me to move into those more like the bond 
uh, bond funds and into the stock funds? Because I know you did quite a bit of work in between moving from a target to mm-hmm. into those, right? Yeah. So it really comes down to whether or not you want to have more control in yeah. your um, in your investments. Because again, with the target fund, it's you're you're not putting any input into it at all. Yeah. Because you could see that. And you can have a target fund where you're like, man, this, it looks very aggressive. I don't know if I would yeah. personally inv- invest in that, yeah. right? Or you can see ones that are like, man, this, this, they're t- man, like they need to, do, uh, you know, have some more balls yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like put, you you know, put be more risky or something, yeah. you know. So you know, by stepping away from a target fund, and you can pretty much choose whatever you yeah. want within you know your four hundred and one k you know plan. Well, I know, but uh, I also know you read quite a bit of like financial. Like you have some blogs that you go to. There's mm-hmm. certain people. Do you feel like someone they need to? You almost need to have a. When you say control, is it that you, we as people need to be like? There's so many funds out there, mm-hmm. right? There's no way you can learn about every single fund. No. So is it that you need to be constantly looking at these blogs, so you kind of have a better understanding? Is like what I'm trying to say is should you play with with bonds and stocks if you're not really like maybe you want to try it, but then you aren't really going to put in the work for it. Or do you feel like it's still something you should consider regardless of how much you know? It's just, it's more of your risk level. I mean, it really comes down to your risk level because okay. um, I would say that, hmm, I'm trying to see what's the best way to answer it. Yeah. Because, like I, I know said, that was a little confusing. It's, when very, I asked. it's very subjective still, yeah. you know, because, uh, you know, I can give you a, a, um, what I think, but yeah. then somebody else can tell you what they sure. think. And then at the end of the day, you have to take all of these inputs into, you know, um, and, you know, basically take all these inputs and then determine what you want to do ultimately, yeah. right? Because, um, the, da- the most dangerous thing, in my opinion, is to basically take one person's word, um, sure. and not understand well, another thing. Yeah. And just, a really you know, good point. Yeah. Just, you don't really want to do that because, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be uh, the one who's vested in your own yeah. future, right? So you, I would say at least go out there and go and maybe go to Investopedia and kind of understand what each of these funds mean, okay. right? Um, I mean, it does take a lot of, uh, a little bit of homework and yeah. some, and, um, some dedication to do this. But again, I, I think if you can figure this out, then you will actually go be much ahead than you know, a lot of people Got out it. there. Okay. But then again, like I said, you know, most people have families. Most people yeah. have, don't have time to do this. So exactly. Just, if that's the case, just put in a target fund and yeah. call it end of the day. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's a uh, really good way to handle that. And then I see you have one more best practice. Yeah. So um, another thing is uh, rebalancing. So, um, so in addition to figuring out, you know, the percentage of what you want to put into it, you also have to make sure that every year that it stays in that same balance, right? So okay. let's say, for instance, you have eighty uh, percent bonds, twenty percent. Ah, that was turned around. Eighty percent stocks yep. and twenty percent bonds, right? So throughout the year, because you know, while you're contributing more and while these funds go up and down, you know, your ratio may be a little bit off at the end of the year, right? So it could. Be oh, that, I see. By the end of the year, it could be like you know, seventy percent stocks and thirty percent bonds. So, um, and if you keep it like that, then you know. Basically, it's going to continue to uh, fluctuate, um, affect your risk tolerance every single year. Right? So, it. if you want to have the same risk tolerance year in and year out and the same type of um, return potential, um, then at the end of the year, you should really, uh, you know, rebalance it so it's eighty percent stock, twenty percent bond. So. Because it's possible that the stocks, especially mm-hmm. what you said, is the most is the biggest gainer potential. Correct. Yeah. So you're saying during the year that stock could 
in some ways outpace what the bonds do and therefore or, mix it up, right? Or it could do that, or it could even dip below the bonds. Or dip below, and, and, yeah. And, that's in a good the point. case where it dips below the Very bonds, that's point. actually is a good thing because now you're selling your bonds that are doing better and then you're buying your stocks back at the cheaper, cheaper rate. Cheaper rate, right? Um, and then the other way around too, so if your stocks are doing better, you can sell some of the stocks that are doing better and then buy more bonds. Got it. So it's just, it's just it. kind of balancing, okay. you know, um, you know, when you want to, buy, you know, if you want to buy on a sale or when you want to sell when it's got higher. It. Yeah. And you said around one, one to two times a year would be good. I would say, yeah. So okay. I would say no more than two times because I would, I would say one year, once a year should be fine. But, you know, some people, they, they want to have more control. So I would say no more than two. Okay. And in some cases, um, in some cases, your 401k brokers may do this for you already. Gotcha. Yeah, so you just got to see if, you know, if it does that for you automatically or you have to do it manually. But Got it. Yeah. Okay. Any other best practices you think you want to share with? I mean, I think that last point is actually really good. I mean, in some ways, a lot of these fidelities and all those, they actually have pretty sophisticated tools to help um, people out. Right. I mean, you can probably call them and still ask some questions of and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You can ask them a lot of questions. I mean, even so that might be Fidelity and um, a lot of these companies also have a lot of um, like a knowledge database where yeah. you can just search anything, you know, oh, what is cool. a large cap? What is yeah. this fund? And it will give you a lot of information. And I would say that with Fidelity, it's really good because a yeah. lot of the, the articles that they do post, um, you know, they're usually written in layman's terms and yeah. they're not too technical. And yeah. I would say if you have time, just, just take a look at them. Oh, cool. Well, then what about some of the, I guess, equally important? What is good best practices? What are some bad practices you should really seek to avoid? Okay. So uh, one obvious, well, at least it's obvious to me, but... But when there is a recession, um, most people are scared and they just want yeah. to step out of the market, yeah. right? And I would say when you see a recession like that, especially when you're in the wealth accumulation phase, um, that's when you should put in more money into the market. So, you know, while other people are running away, you should run you know, towards it with a fistful of cash, right? So buy low in some ways. Exactly. Right? So, I mean, you have to really consider as, you know, you're buying it on a fire sale at that mm-hmm. point because, um, I mean, let's look at the last recession, right? Back in 2008. Um, actually, I had some friends who actually either stopped contributing or they just uh, put reallocated so that they're mostly in cash or in, in bonds or whatever, right? And they they totally lost out quite a bit because you know if you you know at the from 2008 till today, you know the market has recovered yeah, maybe two time. to three times, yeah, right? So big time. I mean, those guys they lost out totally lost out on that, but you know. Me, I just kept the money in there and I totally, you know, regained so that they, and more. They should have just, if they just left it there, yeah. they could have made, not even just, not even buying yep. more. They could have just made, just purely off of just keeping it. But the, because they made the changes, mm-hmm. they lost it. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's fine if you want to rebalance sure. during that time, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't change your investment portfolio during that time. Gotcha. Just, um, I would definitely just, again, run, run it in there with a fistful of cash. Gotcha. <laughs> What else? Um, I would say for, uh, early withdrawal, right? Again, mm-hmm. you know that's really bad because of the ten percent penalty and the ordinary income tax hit. But again, um, you know that that's always going to be a big. I mean, I, maybe it's something that uh, we have to say because a lot of times when people think about withdrawing from their four hundred one k, you know, with that penalty, they say, "Yeah, ten percent is not a big deal, right?" Yeah. But then when you think to add in ordinary income tax, I mean, if you, if you take out let's say ten thousand dollars, I mean, you could probably. Uh, in order to take out $10,000, you may have to take out maybe like $14,000 to even get to that $10,000, right? Don't do it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Not worth it. So it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's a pretty big penalty. Yeah. Um, but people do do it. I cor- see it. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, also, I mean, I would say even another one is, um, looking at your 401k too often is probably a bad thing. Mm. Because, what do you mean by that? Because, you know, my friends who, you know, were, you know, looking at the, um, 
when this recession happened. Oh, I they're see. They're looking at it like, Good point. oh my God, like I just yeah, dropped yeah. like 30%. <laughs> you know, I got to do something about this. But I mean, usually when you look, when you keep seeing those changes, you know, it just drives a lot of fear and things yeah. like that. And I, mean, I would say like, you know, best case scenario, you go in there with, uh, and, and you buy more, but you know, even at the, you know, even um, at an optimal case, just leave it there and leave it alone yeah. and just not even worry about it. Right. So yeah. again, you know, it, I would recommend just looking at your 401k maybe once or twice a year. Yeah. I mean, quarterly at the most, but it's just, Again, just keep uh, just um, contribute and forget about it. <laughs> Got it. Okay. For now, and then I had a question on the early withdrawal penalty. Mm-hmm. Does that apply to the loan, the four one k loan? If I were to want to take a loan out, we talked about that mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. Does the penalty occur there, or it doesn't? It does not until um, unless you. Um, Either one, don't repay back that, oh, loan, or it. two, you get fired. And, got it. Yeah. So really, it's only it. if you don't repay back that. Got loan. it. But uh, within yeah. that set amount of time, kind of thing. Correct. Gotcha. And, and I mean, you, make, you make a good point. I mean, some people use their 401k as their bank account, their checking account. And again, that's you know, you're really losing out on compound interest if you do that. I mean, if you're going to use it as a bank account, you might as well don't put it in, right? Exactly. Almost. Like, what's the point? Exactly. Right. I mean, it's actually worse than a bank account you. because. Usually when you need it in the pinch, it's not going to be, Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, you don't want that money to, lo- uh, to, yeah. to dip either, right? <laughs> so, good point. Yeah. Um, any other things to avoid, you think, at this point? I mean, at this point, I mean, again, I, I can talk about fees for another half hour. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, let's not, let's not do that. Well, let's wrap up, Van. Uh, one of the last parts of this is really, you know, how does, ultimately, we do a word about wealth, right? Mm-hmm. So, at the end of the day, what does... How does a 401k even impact my wealth and, you know, how, how does that even work? Okay. So I would say, I mean, again, it's one of the major tools you can use to build your wealth and to um, live a dignified, you know, retirement life outside. Because, I mean, even, I mean, with the average age of, um, you know, uh, lifespan of at least 80 years or so these days, I mean, even if you retire at 60, 65, you still have quite a long time before you you hit the bucket, right? So again, it's it's just a really good way to build wealth, um, so that you know by the time you don't need a like um, a steady income anymore, you know this money would be there for you. Got it. When do you? So I know I know you said fifty nine and a half. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that point. Let's okay. we're we're there with millionaires, sure. and it's now we're we're now fifty nine and a half. Mm-hmm. What is that magic number? What happens then? So at fifty nine and a half, if you decide to retire at that time, then you can start pulling out of your four hundred one k, you know, as it's your source of uh, single source of income at that oh, point. Oh wow! So I mean, if you can, you know, if you have enough, um, you know, if you based on your budget and you look at, you know, how much um, you're spending year by year and things like that, you can, you know, you, you can probably do some quick math to determine whether or not uh, you have enough in your four hundred one k to even retire. Right? Gotcha. Um, there's uh, this rule called the four percent rule out there that basically determines whether or not you can retire. Um, this is something that is, you know, widely used by, uh, you know, a ton of retirees. And, you know, what that is, is, um, let's see, what, what, how do I explain that? So let's say you have a million dollars in your 401k. Yeah. So the 4% rule is saying that, you know, if you take out 4% of your 401k every single year, then you sh- it, that should basically out, um, allow you to outlive that. Um, oh, that, interesting. Actually, that should, you should be able to live the rest of your life for that, with that, um, you know, with that amount, right? Gotcha. Control. So with a million dollars, you can take out $40,000 a year and we should be okay. Now, is $40,000 enough for you to live on? I mean, that's really that's up to your question, budget, right? For yourself, yeah. Yeah. So if, if, um, if you, it is 40, if it is enough, then that means, okay, a million dollars in my 401k is enough. However, if you have, you know, if your yearly expenses roughly is around 60,000, then you need a million and a half. Yeah. That's, that's 4% of Kinda a million and a half is 60%. Math. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really the, to me, that's the easiest way to really determine whether or not you are ready to retire. 
I mean, there's, there's, um, I would say recently though, the 4% rule has been, has had a lot of scrutiny mm-hmm. because there's like a lot of, um, fear that uh, we're not going to have the same type of returns in the future like we did in the past few decades. Oh, I see. So, I mean, so there's like other, um, I've heard one where it's like you divide your age by 20. So for instance, let's say I am 60, I divide my age by 20. That means that's three, right? Yeah. So I, t- I should take out 3% of my 401k every year. Oh, just to be, it's a more conservative way to look at it. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Van, I'm curious if I'm at, so some people work past 60 mm-hmm. for sure, or 59 right. and a half. Can I choose to not take it out? Of course. Okay. So that's a choice I have. You can choose to not take it out, but, um, here's, a, here's the deal though. So okay. by the time you reach 70 years old, or is it 70 or 72? I, I want to say 70. There's some age. Okay. Yeah. So, um, basically at that point, the uh, IRS is going to require you to do something called a minimum, required minimum distribution. Okay. So that basically means that, um, anything that, your IRS, eventually the government is going to want that tax money, right? So, but oh, right, because it's not been taxed this whole time. Exactly. Ah, so, okay. So by the time you're seventy, you're they're going to they're going to basically require you to withdraw out of that four hundred one k. And the thing is, they're going they're going to determine how much you can withdraw. To, it, to, oh wow! And the thing is, like okay. it could be a lot. Um, you could potentially uh, withdraw a lot more than what you really need. Yeah. And and if you do that, then you're going to be taxed at they a higher take rate. Taxes right? on it. So, oh, so it's really important to be planning how you want to take it out. Exactly. So once it's fifty nine and a half, you start taking it out, even if you're working. It, it, it depends. I mean, you it, could. You could because the thing is, it depends on your lifestyle, right? Yeah. Because um, my, my wife and I, we plan to have a lot. Um, more we don't plan to have a lot more expenses when we get to that age right but whereas some other people they you know they want to be ballers or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? so it doesn't really i mean it really comes down to how much money you need per year to, gotcha. sur- to survive all this um you know we, we did mention 59 and a half a lot but uh, there's actually another caveat to that as okay. well so you can technically retire um withdraw money from your 401k at 55 Okay. Um, and that there's a special circumstance. If you quit your job or get fired from your job, um, then uh, you can actually um, start withdrawing at 55 without any uh, without any that 10 percent penalty that we mentioned. Okay. Yeah, so so roughly around 55 to 59, somewhere in between, depending on those circumstances. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I don't know uh, actually if you quit. Yeah. So in that case, yeah, then yeah. you can really do that. So at 59 and a half, we, let's talk about the tax implications real mm-hmm. quick. When you take that money out. It hasn't been taxed. Mm-hmm. Once you take it out, what tax rate would I be taxed at? Is there a special tax? There's no more penalty, number one, right? Correct. And then number two, is it just whatever I get paid or whatever my tax bracket is at that time? Or It's exactly that, actually. Okay. So it's whatever tax bracket is that. It basically treat it as income. Got so it. If, I mean, it's whatever. Um, so like it's like it's almost like getting a paycheck from somebody. Got right? it. So it's going to be taxed at what that paycheck would have been taxed at. Got it. So if I'm still working, I still have a paycheck, mm-hmm. and I that just comes in as a secondary paycheck, right. and almost. Yeah, I mean, I I actually wouldn't recommend that you do work and withdraw from your 401k at the same time because now you're increasing your income, and it kind of gotcha. It's kind of counterproductive. To Got that, it. Right? Whereas um, I would I would definitely only take out your 401k when you stop working. So that way you're reducing amount of income that the IRS sees you make. Got it. So your taxable income is really much less. Correct. In some ways. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I think that wraps it up, Van. I mean, the last part then I wanted to ask you, what are some actionable steps our listeners can take today? Right. After um, this podcast. Let's see. So um, you can always send my money to, <laughs> your money to, to me, but I mean, first of all, find out what type of retirement plan your provi- uh, employer provides. I mean, yeah. if they don't provide a 401k, then I would say, you know, I would recommend that you go outside and, mm-hmm. um, you know, hi- uh, hire your own, bro- uh, another brokerage, um, to set up this retirement plan. Yeah. But, you know, your, your, your company may actually, uh, we didn't mention this earlier, but there's 
a regular 401k where you put in your money pre-tax and there's a Roth 401k that, oh. you, that your company can also provide where you put in Got money post-tax. Okay. And with the post-tax one, uh, Roth 401k, any money you put in is already taxed. So any gains that you get you know, in the future will not be taxable at all. So basically all the money that is in your Roth 401k is completely yours. You don't gotcha. have to give anybody that money after that. And but, don't worry, we'll talk about Roth and traditional. We'll yeah. make sure on another podcast. Oh, on actually, that. it's a little bit different because Roth one oh. k is different from a Roth IRA. Oh, yeah, okay, so that's a little bit different. But mm. I mean, it's um, but it's just something that some like my employee, my employer actually provides, gives you both, and you can oh, choose which one you want to do. Oh, okay, well, good to know. Um, so yeah, so I would find out that out. Um, because retirement is important ultimately. Oh that's yeah, the key. Oh yeah, and then uh, second thing is I would also find out um. How much you can contribute, right? I mean, look at your look mm-hmm. at your monthly uh, budget and see how much you can actually put in. I mean, any I would say any auto money that you have in your checking account is not doing you any favors sure. uh, because it's going to be eaten up by inflation, like in the long run anyway. So you might as well dump that into some kind of investment or you know retirement yeah. or you know some other investment. But yeah, that's that's one thing I would do. Okay. Let's see another another thing is I mean I know we talk about a lot of complex. Um, you know, things like asset allocation, rebalancing and all that. I mean, if you need help, you know, go talk to a financial advisor. Yeah. If, um, if you don't Absolutely. have, if you have one, go ahead and talk to that person. Um, that person should be more than willing to help you, um, figure out, uh, figure out, um, how much to put into your 401k and uh, how to invest in your 401k. And if you don't have one, just, you know, I would go find one yourself and yeah. you know, go by, you can always go by referrals. Um, I heard great things about Dave Ramsey's EL, um, ELPs, <laughs> um, and all that. And, you know, in even some, I would even say some employers also even provide like a financial advisor service right, as well. Right. So that's something that your employer may provide that you may not even know. And you said like the brokerage themselves sometimes can be helpful Correct. in some ways. Not obviously not going to tell you what to buy or whatnot, but yeah. can help you with some of the intricacies of it um, too. They actually can tell you what to buy, but oh, the they can't. They can't. Okay. Um, the, the only thing is uh, there is a. Um, Conflict of interest, though, right? sure, because absolutely. any money that you're throwing into your 401k, you know, they're not going to earn any commission on it. Um, so, right. I mean, you have to also put that in the back of your mind, too. That, Very true. Hey, um, you know, you can take their, you, know, you can listen to their advice, but, you know, you can determine on your own to see whether or not you want to follow that or make a modification of that. Gotcha. So um, I would say, I would say if you want to learn about, you know, how to invest in things like that, um, there's actually... Um, the Jim Collins stock series that I really recommend. And that's actually what kind of set me on this path gotcha. on figure, uh, learning all this. And, you know, his, his series is actually really good because it's really written, um, in a humor, a very humor fashion. And it's, uh, there's not a lot of technical aspects of mm-hmm. it. And it's just, he just writes in a way that's really simple to understand as well. Very cool. And he also, um, has a book called Simple Path to Wealth that I really recommend to anybody who wants to start learning about this. And I would say if you, read his stuff um you know i would say that's pretty much 90 percent of what i do today very cool what, what, what my strategy is today nice yeah. well cool well i think that's a wrap van well if you guys have any questions or comments uh, or suggestions for topics always reach out to van and i at a word about wealth at gmail.com again rate share review final word about wealth really is just i would say it's about hey retirement's important think about it make sure that you are taking care of that um and if your employer has a 401k look into it and find out how it works yeah so yeah just again uh, 401k all the way oh jeez, right, that's, that's my last <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right see you guys later bye